By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Behind the Bonds, connecting the dots on corporate credit. And welcome to 2023 in New York. This is Jeff Prusan, your host for this edition, our first Behind the Bonds podcast of the year. We're now roughly one month into winter in the Northern Hemisphere. And while it's still a long way until April, Europe's first full winter without the benefit of Russian supplies of oil and natural gas has started out warmer and less energy intensive than many had feared. Even so, Moody's analysts predict that energy supplies will be tighter in Europe in 2023, posing a bigger risk for companies there than elsewhere. How will supply considerations affect the credit quality of companies operating in Europe? And which sectors are the most and least vulnerable? My colleague Victoria Knight in London will talk with London-based analyst Russia Lee about Europe's energy hazards this winter and beyond. Then later in this podcast, I'll talk with New York-based analyst Elena Natochi about the new U.S. push to boost its own ability to export its abundant natural gas supplies to Europe and why that effort will be easier said than done. How are U.S. energy producers responding to urgent natural gas demand from Europe and how long will it take to expand the U.S. LNG sector? We'll get the American perspective in just a moment. Right now, I'd like to turn our focus toward Europe and to my London-based colleague, Victoria Knight. Hi, Victoria. Belated Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Jeff, and Happy New Year to you too. It's great to be back. Europe's energy crisis, triggered after Russia invaded Ukraine, is taking a toll on the continent's economies as consumer and business confidence plummets amid rampant inflation. While a mild winter so far has eased pricing and supply pressures, Europe is far from out of the woods. This is one of the key reasons why Moody's outlook for non-financial companies in Europe, the Middle East and Africa is negative for 2023. Joining us today to provide more insight is Rosha Lee of Moody's Credit Strategy and Research Team based in London. Over the past year, Rosha and her colleagues have teamed up to produce a series of reports analysing the credit exposure of companies to Europe's unfolding energy shock. Welcome to the podcast, Rosha. Thanks, Victoria. Very happy to be here. So it seems that energy is a bigger problem for companies in Europe than anywhere else. Why is that? That's right. Energy costs are set to remain elevated in Europe because of restricted supply driven by the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Before the invasion, Russia supplied around 40% of Europe's natural gas. And this percentage is even higher in some countries, such as Germany and Italy. And this fuel is crucial for power generation, household heating, and industrial processing in Europe. We expect natural gas supply will remain strained. This is because it will be hard to fully substitute Russian gas with alternative sources over this and especially next winter. As a result, the cost of energy has soared, and this will continue to squeeze margins in energy-intensive industries, such as chemicals. And and what about consumers? How are they faring? The cost of living crisis has eaten into consumers' disposable income and heat confidence. Softer consumer demand combined with high energy prices and high interest rates will weigh on some sectors like retail. It sounds like 2023 is going to be another difficult year for many European companies. 
Is the nature of the energy shock different from the pandemic? And if so, how will it affect credit quality? Compared to the pandemic, the credit and rating implication of the energy shock are likely to manifest over a longer period. COVID-19 lockdowns caused an abrupt suspension of a large share of economic activity, with immediately credit effect in certain sectors, such as airline. In contrast, Europe's energy supply and price shock has unfolded over several months, and this has allowed governments and energy-intensive companies to prepare and partially mitigate its credit effects in the short term. However, the energy crisis will likely lead to a long-lasting credit effects, including slower growth, high energy prices, increasing social risk, and increased cost investment for companies. Hmm. And also, isn't it isn't it harder for policymakers to help out in other ways in the current inflationary environment? That's right. During the pandemic, government support measures and low interest rates contributed to a strong economic rebound once the lockdown were lifted. Now, not only do governments have a limited set of options, but interest rates are also going up to curb inflation. Furthermore, the government fiscal measure we have seen so far in Europe that aim to protect households and companies from rising energy prices will likely prove inflationary. And that can require central banks to take an even tougher monetary policy stance. Is that creating other areas of vulnerability for companies? Lower-rated companies with immediate debt refinancing needs or that have floating rate debt will see their cost of debt rise. And in some cases, this will lead to unsustainable capital structures. In addition, higher interest rate also creates a dual problem for real estate companies by both increasing borrow costs and eroding property values. So challenging times ahead then for some companies and investors. Going back now to the energy intensive industries, can you give us some examples and also explain how things are playing out? Sure, Victoria. The chemicals, automotive and manufacturing sectors are among the most vulnerable to energy shock, particularly those based in countries high dependency on Russian gas. In chemicals, for instance, high gas prices and lower margins are forcing operation rates down. Other large consumers of gas and electricity, including steel and glass packaging companies, will face great margins. And steelmakers also face reduced demand from auto industry, where margin will suffer from rising raw material costs. Hmm. Will, will some of these companies fare better than others? Yes, the impact will vary. It depends on each company's ability to replace missing Russian volumes, as well as ability to pass on higher prices to the customers. And in addition, we have seen that many investment-grade companies are entering this shock with strong balance sheets and liquidity positions, and are therefore better placed to cope with a weakened economic environment. So how is the situation likely to develop from here? Well, we expect energy supply to be tight in Europe in 2023. This is because Russia gas flow only really began to decline in mid-2022. Companies with operations in regions depend on Russian gas imports, such as Germany, Italy and Central Eastern Europe, are most at risk. Hmm. Interesting. We'll, we'll go into more detail on this in the next segment, but, but couldn't Europe just import more liquefied natural gas or LNG this year to plug the gap? 
I know that in 2022, Europe's LNG imports rose substantially from a range of countries, including from the US. Indeed, Victoria, both securing adequate non-Russia gas supply and refuel gas storage facilities will be harder this year. Firstly, the volume of gas supplied by Russia pipeline will be much lower. And secondly, Asian LG will be less available on tight global spot market this year than it was last year. For instance, last year China's reduced domestic demand allowed Chinese importers to redirect their contracted LNG volumes to Europe. But this might not be the case if China's LNG imports rebound as domestic demand recovers. So we've talked a lot about the sectors in Europe that will face pressure. But before you go, can you tell us about some of the ones that will do well this year? Sure. The other side of the coin is that earnings of integrated oil and gas companies have been at record levels. While we do expect moderately lower levels in 2023 as demand slows, cash flow generation will remain strong. While the UK and the EU are implementing taxes on oil and gas producers, on their unexpectedly high profits, we don't expect them to have much credit impact. For the major players like BP and Shell, we expect their size and diversification to limit the financial impact of the tax. Russia, thank you so much for your time today. It sounds like the energy situation in Europe is going to be one to watch closely in 2023. And now I'm going to hand back the mic to my colleague Jeff in New York. Victoria, thanks for such an insightful discussion. Let's turn now to the U.S. Liquefied natural gas, or LNG, has long been the only way to ship natural gas to another part of the world because you don't need a pipeline to do it. But of course, LNG liquefaction and export facilities are incredibly expensive to build, and very few U.S. companies have pursued them. So is that finally changing with Europe suddenly more eager to import LNG? To help answer this question, I'm very excited to have Elena Nadtochi, a New York-based senior vice president at Moody's Investors Service. Elena and her colleague Amol Joshi have recently written about Europe's surging gas demand and how the U.S. will or won't meet it. Elena, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. It's really good to be back. So we've just been hearing that Europe needs a more reliable supply of natural gas, and that's one thing the U.S. has in great abundance. When Russia invaded Ukraine almost a year ago, natural gas prices skyrocketed in Europe, prices also rose in Asia and to some extent the US, but less than in Europe. But of course, natural gas ships mostly by pipeline. You can't just put natural gas in a barrel and ship it the way you would with oil. You have to liquefy the gas first in a complicated process involving specialized facilities. The US is way behind the Middle East and Australia in the effort to build LNG facilities to allow gas exports. So my question to you, Elena, does the Ukraine invasion lead to a surge in US LNG? Um, I think it will certainly contribute to further growth, Jeff. Um, the U.S. is already one of the largest exporters of LNG, and it is a reliable supplier to buyers in Asia and more recently in Europe. U.S. investment and in LNG capacity have been growing since 2015, and we actually expect that capacity will, again, more than double in the next five, ten, ten years. Um, now, high prices, high cash flows that U.S. LNG producers uh, earned in 2022, we think will persist in 2023. So these companies will have additional cash flow to reinvest into their growth projects. 
And look, this is a significant growth growth opportunity for U.S. midstream companies, as well as U.S. producers of natural gas. Uh, yet it's fair to say there would be some obstacles for new U.S. LNG, wouldn't there? Of course, there will be obstacles. LNG facilities are hugely expensive to build. Producers need to address various risks, market risk, project risk. Look, they need to secure financing. Um, at the moment, we are particularly focusing on two things, market risk and the availability of long-term purchase commitments from customers, and that is commitments lasting 10 years or longer. And we also look at long-term access to natural gas supply for the new facilities in the U.S. Are the potential U.S. producers of LNG pretty sure they'd have the demand for it? We think long-term demand for natural gas will continue to grow. U.S. producers have, have signed and will continue to sign long-term contracts to supply LNG. Um, last year, and that's according to International Energy Agency, uh, most of these contracts were signed by Asian buyers. Now, don't forget, Asia is migrating from coal to natural gas and as the first step in carbon transition. And this will remain the main driver of demand for natural gas for, for, for years. Now, in the near term, we also are seeing additional LNG demand from Europe as it is working to redirect its natural gas supply away from Russia. The IEA, which you just mentioned, they, they also say European LNG imports surged in 2022, uh, hitting 125 billion cubic meters. That's nearly double what it was a year earlier. Can Europe import as much LNG in 2023 as it did in 2022? Um, I think there are definitely some increasing hazards for Europe in 2023. And one of the considerations here is the return of LNG demand from China. Um, China is one of the largest consumers of LNG globally. Now, last year in 2022, Europe was able to bring in more LNG for two main reasons. Chinese demand fell as a result of COVID-related lockdowns and economic slowdown. And that freed up some supply from China and allowed Chinese companies to redirect their contracted volumes to the spot market in Europe. Also, Europe was able to outbid all the other buyers on the spot market to procure their LNG volumes. Now, Chinese lockdown is over now. And that suggests that supply risks to European buyers remain pretty high in 2023. Okay, so basically 2022 was a bit of a fluke for the European LNG market in a few ways. We had the Ukraine invasion, price spikes, and additional supply resulting from the China lockdown. What kind of export capacity does the U.S. have right now? I guess the answer, Jeff, is not enough. Um, well, right now, U.S. has about 14 billion cubic feet per day of LNG export capacity. That's significant. But we also think that that capacity would nearly double over the next five to 10 years as current LNG projects go into service. There are approximately 10 BCFP a day of LNG projects now under construction in the US. And we have um, discussed details of some of these projects in the report that we published in early January. 
So uh, U.S. LNG capacity stands to nearly double in the next few years or a decade. Uh, it, that sounds like quite a dramatic change in the U.S. LNG market. But you said there was a pipeline shortage for LNG in the U.S. as well? Um, we expect that existing LNG facilities and projects that have received final investment decisions have secured long-term access to natural gas. And Jeff, this is typically by reserving pipeline capacity allocations over long term. Now, as LNG capacity increases in coming years, pipeline access must also expand to keep up with this export capacity. Um, we think plans to build new LNG facilities that are now awaiting their final investment decisions so that's anything with starting dates after 2026. These plants will depend on their ability to secure a long-term supply of natural gas. And that, we think, is going to require construction of new pipelines in the U.S. Again, our recent report from early January goes into some detail about this new proposed pipeline developments. Clearly a big opportunity for LNG producers, but the, that's going to depend on successful investment and a lot more long-term access to natural gas than they have today. Sounds like an industry at a distinct point of evolution. Elena, pleasure talking with you and hearing your thoughts about an incredibly complicated industry, which you've helped clarify as always. Special thanks to both of our guests today, Elena Nadtochi in New York and Russia Lee in London, and to my London-based colleague, Victoria Knight. I'm Jeff Prezan in New York. Thanks to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please like us and take a moment to subscribe to Behind the Bonds on your favorite platforms. You can listen to previous episodes of Behind the Bonds, not to mention all of the other Moody's podcasts at moody's.com slash podcasts. That page also has hyperlinks to the print research that we've discussed today. Please join us again next month for another close look at some of the factors that will influence corporate credit quality in 2023 and beyond. Until then, thanks for listening and a belated Happy New Year to you and yours from all of us at Behind the Bonds. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.